welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of this here program, Mike Pence joins me uh, at 2.35 if you're listening live. That's the bottom of the third hour here if you're listening on delay. Let's talk about Arizona because the data paints a fascinating picture of do's and do nots for Republicans moving forward. Kerry Lake was arguably the best of the Trump connected candidates. She had a pre existing relationship with much of the voters because she'd been a very popular uh, personality on television. She was very articulate, she owned the press was combative with them and got very close, but could not get across the finish line. And the grifters are screaming that it is fraud. There's a problem in claiming that it is fraud. If it's fraud, then there's a problem for Trump and his candidates that they are the only ones races can be stolen against. Because the Democrats had hoped to take Arizona's legislature, and they failed The Arizona Republicans have maintained their control of the state legislature in Arizona. They've won the state treasurer's race, who will be able to divest from ESG funds. And there are nine congressional races or congressional seats in Arizona. Three were drawn to be very Democrat. Three were drawn to be very Republican. And three were drawn to be a coin flip between the GOP and the Democrats, split 50-50. The GOP has won six of the nine races. The only ones they are not winning are the three Democrat races. And so that begs the question, raises the question, how can the race be stolen from Masters and Lake when the GOP outperformed everywhere else? Maybe it was them. Maybe it wasn't stolen. A few days before the election in 2022, Carrie Lake stood on a stage in Arizona, said, are there any McCain voters here? Y'all can get out. Essentially said, y'all can go to hell. And the crowd went wild. Lake's candidacy was not just an embrace of Trump, but a repudiation of the McCain machine in Arizona that had been uh, accommodationist with the Democrats over time. John McCain was able to win five statewide elections, growing his margin almost every single election. Republicans backed him over J.D. Hayworth in 2010 when Hayworth challenged him. And Carrie Lake stood on stage shortly before the election and said essentially she did not want or need the McCain Republicans' help. Carrie Lake lost a very narrow election, and 11% of the Republicans in Arizona voted for Katie Hobbs, the Democrat. Blake Masters was not a popular candidate. He found his footing on the campaign stage. I got to give it to him. He, He definitely found his footing. He got the race way closer than it had been, but he wasn't a very good candidate, and I'm, I'm somewhat disappointed. He's not just owning his loss now. He's blaming McConnell. He's blaming everyone other than himself. 
seems very entitled, an entitled mentality. He can't accept ownership of his race. Adam Laxalt has conceded in Nevada. Adam Laxalt is essentially uh, undertaken to, to, to own his loss. He lost. It wasn't stolen. He congratulates Catherine Cortez Masto in her victory. And he moves on. Masters is out screaming still that it's everybody else's fault but his own. Lake is suggesting that there was some nefariousness somewhere. But the Republicans won the state legislature. They won the congressional delegation. They've won the treasurer's race. They may yet win the AG's race. You know what else they won? The prosecutor in Maricopa County, you know who that is? Remember the woman the Republicans hired to question Christine Blasey Ford at the Kavanaugh hearings? Yes, that woman, she's now the the DA. She won. Democrats could not block the Republican lawyer who grilled Christine Blasey Ford in the in the Kavanaugh hearings in Maricopa County. Carrie Lake underperformed that woman too. Of the total Republican vote in Arizona, Carrie Lake got 6% less than what the Republicans got overall. Blake Masters got 11% less. The problem is not a stolen election. The problem was those two candidates. And there's a couple issues here. One, both of the candidates were perceived to be Donald Trump's candidates, and the Arizona voters who rejected Trump in 2020 rejected them in 2022 while embracing other Republicans. Two, Carrie Lake herself on campaign stage said she didn't want that kind of Republican voting for her, told him to go to hell. The theory of the race, I've mentioned the phrase, the theory of the race. Everyone has a theory of the race. The Republican theory of the race, I think, actually did hold up. It was crime and the economy. The Democratic theory of the race, though, proved to be somewhat true, too. Tie enough Republicans to Donald Trump. He's not popular with independents. You'll gain the independence as a Democrat. And that worked. Kerry Lake's fundamental theory of the election was flawed. It was that if I rally all the Trump supporters, if I really do believe the race was stolen, and I rally all the Trump supporters to me, we have enough votes to win and we don't need anyone else. And she lost as a result. She did not build a coalition. If you're a Republican in Arizona, you got to build a coalition. You've got moderate Republicans. You've got social conservative Republicans. You've got liberal Republicans. You've got liberal Republicans socially who are fiscally conservative. You've got across-the-board conservative Republicans. you got to invite all of them into your campaign. Carrie Lake actually told them to go to hell. She didn't build a coalition, and she still did better than Blake Masters. But her theory of the race was wrong. She made her race not about Arizona, but about the nation. She nationalized her own race. So she made it about election denialism. That was the centerpiece of her campaign, that the 2020 election had been stolen. There were serious problems. They needed to be addressed, and she would address them as governor. And that galvanized the Trump supporters, and she never let it go and pivoted. Lee Zeldin pivoted in New York and came within a few points of beating Kathy Huchel in a state way more Democrat than Arizona is. I want to play you some audio because you got to you need to understand this because it it didn't get picked up on in the conservative media. It did not get picked up on what had actually happened. But you've got to understand this from Vaughn Hilliard, who for NBC News was on the campaign trail covering the race, to put in perspective what 
Carrie Lake did at the end of her race that was off-putting to so many Republicans. Could I say something about Carrie Lake, you guys? Would that be okay? Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. We, we love Go that. for it. Okay. Uh, look, I covered Carrie Lake for the better part of the last year and a half here, and I think it was perhaps fitting to be here across from Mar-a-Lago today. I finally flew yesterday from Arizona here, and essentially, though, I felt like it was covering Donald Trump's campaign of 2024, but in Arizona over the last year. She predicated her campaign on trying to sell the big lie and trying to sell the conspiracy theories. When she wonders how she lost this race, look at it. This is the third election cycle in a row in which Arizonans rejected Trump in the final week of her campaign, who did she campaign alongside? She campaigned alongside Steve Bannon. She campaigned alongside one of the chief promoters of Pizzagate. She campaigned alongside an individual who promoted the notion of the war on white people. She campaigned alongside State Senator Wendy Rogers, who just earlier this year was here in Florida speaking at a white nationalist conference, somebody who frequently spews anti-Semitism. This is an individual who just last week called her Democratic opponent a pervert. This is an individual who suggested there should be perp walks for elections officials, criminal charges against individuals who oversaw COVID response in 2020 in Arizona. This is an individual who's celebrating putting a dagger into the quote, the McCain machine. She asserted that Cindy McCain wants to end America. She called Mike Lindell one of the great patriots of our time. She said Dinesh D'Souza is one of the greatest patriots in America. She suggested Paul Gosar was the kind of lawmaker our founding fathers envisioned. She called the media the right hand of the devil, the scourge of the earth. If that doesn't sound like Donald Trump, I don't know what does. And ultimately, the big question was, was she going to be able to make that sell here? And the answer is no, according to Arizona voters. And when you look at that slate of election deniers from Tudor Dixon to Tim Michaels uh, to uh, Jim Marchant in Nevada to Mark Fincham, she was the latest one to fall, essentially making it a clean sweep of those not only right. election denier gubernatorial candidates and secretary of state candidates. And now Donald right. Trump is going to go and try to run on the very message that all these folks lost on. That's Vaughn Hilliard, NBC News. That was on MSNBC. You could you can say she was right. You can say, I mean, what she said about the media, can't really disagree with that. You can say that that she was right on all that. You could say that Mike Lindell is a patient. You could say Dinesh D'Souza is a hero. You can say all these things. But understand it's alienating to a lot of independent voters who are done with the 2020 election denialism. You may not be, but independent voters are. And as Von Hillier pointed out there at the end, every single one of those candidates went down in flames. So your question is, do you want to win moving forward or do you want to keep losing? And some of you will conclude, well, we're going to keep losing because no one cares about the stolen election. And you may need to sit out politics. You may need to sit out because Republicans won in Arizona and you don't see that it wasn't stolen election. Brian Kemp and every Republican statewide in Georgia swept, except Herschel Walker, who's in a runoff. In Nevada, Republicans at the local level did very well, and they won the governor's mansion, even as Adam Laxalt barely lost. That doesn't look like election theft. It looks like candidates whose messages were outside the mainstream for independent voters and Republicans. 13% of Republicans nationwide voted Democrat this year. They voted against Republicans who questioned the integrity of the 2020 election to punish them. 
In Arizona, it was 11%. 11% of Republicans voted for Katie Hobbs against Carrie Lake. 13% voted for um, Mark Kelly against Blake Masters. More Republicans actually rejected Masters than Lake. That's not a stolen election. So if you're Donald Trump and you're announcing you're running for president today, you've got to be mindful of this stuff. There's a segment of the population that likes your policies. They don't like you. There's a segment of the population that is tired of the grievances. They want happy warriors, not angry brain biblical donkeys screaming about the past. You have to adapt to where the voters are. You have to talk about what the voters want to talk about. The Republicans who talked about crime and the economy did okay. The Republicans who nursed Donald Trump's grievances for him went down in flames. But you got to make that choice. I can't make it for you. I can tell you now it's not abstract. It's not anecdote. It's data. It's the data. We have the elections. We have the results. We can see who won. We can see who lost. We can compare the races between the two. We can compare the messages. We can look at the exit polling. We can see what the voters who voted said. I can tell you what they said. I can tell you what they think. I can tell you how they voted. I can tell you who they voted for and who they did not vote for. But you're the one who's got to read, mark, and inwardly digest the data. I can't do that for you. That's on you. And in Arizona, there was no theft. The Republicans had a great night in Arizona unless they tied themselves to Donald Trump. Let's pause and just talk about what's going on in the country for a moment. We got sky-high inflation. We got runaway government spending. Trust in Washington is completely eroded. When government is this dysfunctional, you got to change the course of the country. You know you have to. That's why I'm excited about the work Americans for Prosperity is doing. They're focused on policy solutions that actually improve people's lives, unlike so many in D.C. who just want to play political football and have power. Americas for Prosperity doesn't just come up with solutions. They act on those solutions. They have the largest network of community activists in the country. They are out there every day talking to millions of their fellow Americans. If you're interested in seeing how you can get started with Americans for Prosperity in your community, visit americansforprosperity.org slash eric today. That's americansforprosperity.org slash eric, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. You can be a part of the program, 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phones. Tom, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Uh, good to talk to you. Um, I was, I, I think you make some extremely valid points with regards to Carrie Lake. And when you're telling people not to vote for you, well, that's exactly what's going to happen. So very frustrating, uh, that that's the approach. And I agree with you, but my question is this, you know, Republicans, we as a group are punishing people for quote unquote, denying election results or election deniers. Why don't Democrats do the same? I mean, in 2016, you had the entire party, including Hillary Clinton, leading the charge of election deniability. Mm-hmm. Their, they don't punish their candidates at all. They embrace them. Right. Why do you think that we do that? Do you think it's an unfair labeling to call them, quote unquote, election deniers, which is a disgusting term, if you ask me as a Jewish person, but beyond that and the historical reference to denying. Yeah. Um, but still, why do we allow? So, why okay, don't they punish them? Okay, um, it, it, because the media, being in the Democratic Party, holds the Democrats to a different standard. 
the Democrats can get away with stuff we can't get away with. And a lot of Republicans for a very long time have taken the position, well, screw this. Let, let's let's uh, if they're if they're not going to hold their side to, to a standard, we're not going to hold our side to one. Uh, and the voters themselves actually expect our side to behave differently. Um, it's the voters who held these people accountable, not the media, not you and me. The voters refused to vote for them. My suspicion when you look at Lee Zeldin's race in New York where he almost won is that had they moved on, they would not have been punished. But a lot of the candidates who lost Tom couldn't move on from the 2020 election. Carrie Lake made it a centerpiece of her campaign that this had to be the first thing addressed or else nothing else could. There were a number of candidates who – Doug Mastriano in, in Pennsylvania, same thing. And they surrounded themselves with the crazy town Republicans, the the Mike Lindells and the Dinesh D'Souza's of the world. They didn't pivot. Lee Zeldin in New York, he lost. But Lee Zeldin should probably be the RNC chairman because Lee Zeldin saved the House Republicans. He moved New York so far to the right that Republicans won in congressional districts they were not expected to win in. Lee Zeldin did that. What did Lee Zeldin do? It's a, it's something the rest of these candidates could have done and should have done, where after he got the nomination, he said, I'm moving forward. I'm not dwelling on the past. We got issues in the future. What's done is done. Can't change it. And he moved forward. And it was a smart pivot. And the media gave him a pass, except local media in New York hounded him on him and says, I'm, I'm done with 2020. Joe Biden's the president of the United States. I'm moving forward. Carrie Lake could have done that. These other candidates could have done that. And the voters, I think, would have given them a pass. But because they grounded their entire campaign in in complaining about 2020 and offered no vision of the future, the voters smacked them. It's a lesson for everyone, including Donald Trump, to learn. Don't dwell on the past. Talk about the future. Future will work. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on this here program? Glad to have you with me. Can we talk about falling on swords, please? We're going to talk about falling on swords. For a very long time in the history of of Britain, the United States, Western powers, when a major party had a major screw-up, someone would fall on their sword, say, my fault, I quit, and be done. What is fascinating to me and infuriating to me is as we have lost our sense of shame, so too have the political leaders lost their willingness to admit their mess up and leave power. Kevin McCarthy expected the GOP to get 60 seats in the House of Representatives. They're going to have a a bare majority. You need 218 votes. They may get to 219, 220. And he wants to be promoted to Speaker of the House. Tom Emmers. Tom Emmers is the chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee. He's the man who ran the House races. He wants a promotion 
to House Majority Whip. He's the man, more than any other, who should fall on his sword, given the way the election turned out, but he wants a promotion. About the only person who's going to be taken to task is Rick Scott in the U.S. Senate, and he will just be deprived of the NRSC chairmanship. He'll get nothing else. Everybody's all about blaming McConnell. It wasn't jo- it wasn't Mitch McConnell's job to run the National Republican Senatorial Committee. It was Rick Scott's job. Conservatives, myself included, aren't fans of Mitch McConnell, but I have a hard time using Rick Scott's screw-ups as a reason to throw McConnell under the bus in favor of the guy who screwed up. Plenty of criticism for McConnell, but he wasn't the chairman of the NRSC. And then there's Rona Romney McDaniel, the chair of the Republican Party. She wants another term. I don't care if you love her more than you love Jesus Christ himself. She oversaw the 2018 disaster, the 2020 disaster, and now the 2022 disaster. And you're nuts if you think she deserves another term. Why do you keep rewarding mediocrity and failure? Do you know this is yet another election cycle where the Democrats outperformed the GOP in digital? Here's a dirty little secret for you. I used to be a political consultant. I know these things. You, as a consultant, you get a commission When you place ads on TV and radio, you, the consultant, get a commission. You don't get as much a commission if you put it on a digital platform. Raphael Warnock here in Georgia made a big digital play. Herschel Walker did not. The Democratic Party made a big digital play. The Republican Party did not. The Republican consultants would have had to scrub some of their commission. They would rather make money than win. They're going to get rewarded one way or the other. Look at Rona McDaniel. She wants to be chair of the Republican Party after losing 2018, 2020, and 2022. She's an albatross around the party's neck, and she wants to stay in the job. There was a time when the party chairman would say, we screwed up. I'm out. Now they say, we screwed up. Give me a promotion. Promote me out of this place where I screwed up. If you reward people who fail you repeatedly, you're going to get more failure. You know, I'm in a ratings-based business. Have all these people all the time who tell me, can't believe you're still on the radio. You suck. Well, the ratings suggest otherwise. I assure you I would not be here if the ratings sucked. But we can see for ourselves what the ratings are for these political hacks. They lost the election. Why are we keeping them in their job? It makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. Why would we reward failure and mediocrity? We need people to fall on their swords and be responsible for what happened. Not the peons, not, not the grunt workers, but the people at the top.
the Republican leaders. They expected a red wave. We expected a red wave. The data showed there would be a red wave. And now it turns out from Politico, about two months ago, Republican leaders in Washington started seeing signs that maybe there would not be. And they agreed to keep it hush-hush. And then the signs pointed back again to a red wave and they didn't think anything about it. There was a blip in the radar and they didn't bother to check. They didn't bother to maintain. They didn't bother to engage in the oversight. And the GOP got blown out of the water. Now, not everywhere. They actually overperformed in good parts of the country. From New York to Florida to Texas to Arizona, the GOP overperformed. If you're looking at the top-line races that lost tied to Trump, you got to look at the, the down-ballot races where the GOP did exceedingly well. But the party leadership was in charge of the top-ballot races, and they screwed it up. Yes, you can say there was a Trump factor. Yes, that's true. Trump intervened and got Republican voters in in some states to go with his candidates, and they weren't the best candidates. But the party leadership should hold the bag here. I mentioned Lee Zeldin. We have a House majority on the right because of Lee Zeldin in New York. We owe him a lot. Lee Zeldin found ways to pivot from 2020 election issues to the economy and crime. And he talked to the voters of New York and made it about New York. Why are we not making him RNC chairman as a thank you for saving the Republicans? Lee Zeldin, not Kevin McCarthy, saved the Republicans. Lee Zeldin, not Kevin McCarthy, saved those House races. Lee Zeldin, not Kevin McCarthy, ensured we had a House majority because we wound up winning races in New York no one expected us to win because Lee Zeldin's gubernatorial campaign moved the state a minimum of three points to the right in every single county in New York. In fact, one of the reasons on Election Day everyone was really concerned about a wave was in Rochester, New York. Rochester and its county underperformed for the Democrats. It turned out it was Democratic voters staying home and Republican voters going out to vote for Lee Zeldin and the the Republicans. And the New York and the Virginia and the Florida waves that we saw, the overperformance of the GOP in those areas, really did confirm to a lot of people that, yep, there's a red wave coming tonight, except it didn't play out all over the country. It played out in select states and in select counties, in select regions. But there should be some accountability, not promotion. Kevin McCarthy should not be Speaker of the House. He should be punished. Tom Emmers should not be the Republican whip. You got Drew Ferguson from Georgia, Jim Banks from Indiana, both of whom are competing with him for the job. Emmers does not deserve it. He ran the National Republican Congressional Committee and nearly lost a guaranteed sure thing House majority. And Rona McDaniel does not deserve another term as RNC chair after presiding over losses three consecutive elections. In Georgia, the governor of Georgia and the Republican leaders are tired of rewarding the failures of the state Republican Party. They've set up a leadership pact to siphon all the money out of the GOP. 
The chairman of the GOP in Georgia won't resign after his failures and after his attempts to essentially launch a coup. He tried to find primary opponents to all the statewide Republican officials. They all got blown up at the ballot. The GOP elected officials are done with the state GOP. They are gutting the GOP. They've started a leadership pact. They've started an outside organization. The legislature signed off on it. And money will flow into this leadership pact that would have flown to the Georgia GOP. This will make Brian Kemp the most powerful Republican governor and one of the most powerful governors the state has ever seen because he and his team will control the cash, not the Georgia GOP, which betrayed the trust of the Republican elected officials. The party chairman in Georgia presided over the GOP losing the presidency, losing two Senate seats, and won't resign. Unlike the national Republicans, the state Republicans have had enough and said, fine, you won't resign. We'll start something new and we'll move on without you. They won't be tied in to the Rona McDaniel failures at the RNC, nor to the Georgia Republican Party's failures. They'll have the governor and his team running a ground game for Republicans around the state pursuing his agenda because there's no trust there. There's no accountability there. The rest of us should look at what Brian Kemp and the Georgia GOP has done, saying, you know what, we're going to marginalize the party in order to save the Republicans. They have to essentially kill off the Republican Party in Georgia to save getting Republicans elected in the state of Georgia. It's necessary given what's happened internally at that party. Nationally, there should be accountability for the Republicans. Rona McDaniel says she wants to run for party chair again. Lee Zeldin should be the party chair. He saved us on election night, even as he lost. You want to punish Mitch McConnell? Okay, I don't know that you can. I've tried before. I have waged war against McConnell. It never does any good. The majority of the Republicans in the Senate prefer him. But Kevin McCarthy, he should not be speaker. There are plenty of good and viable people who could be speaker. Put in a caretaker. You've got a two, three seat majority. Put in a caretaker whose job is to make sure the House works while the majority leader handles the internal ruckus of the GOP. Fascinating to watch Marjorie Taylor Greene come out and defy the House Freedom Caucus and say, I'm with McCarthy. The House Freedom Caucus is trying to rally the votes to deny him the speakership. Marjorie Taylor Greene come out and said, I'm with him. He's cut a deal with her to give her a prime committee spot, just as the national voters say, we're tired of the crazy. We want normal Republicans. We don't want crazy Republicans. We'll vote for you if you give us normal. Kevin McCarthy's going to elevate Marjorie Taylor Greene. Where's the accountability for failure on the GOP side? Where is the accountability? Three elections in a row did not go the way the GOP expected them to go. Well, okay, 2018, we all knew it was going to be bad, just not that bad. They handed Joe Biden a win, even as the Democrats have lost the House. Joe Biden's gotten a win. Best performance of an incumbent president in midterm since George W. Bush in 2002. Second best going back to World War II after Bush. He gets that talking point. What do the GOP get? There's no participation trophy for the GOP. They get no Senate majority. They barely get a House majority. Everybody's going to be on death watch. All the old members know, "Uh oh, this guy dies. Pelosi becomes speaker again. There's no sense of shame 
among the leadership of the Republicans or the Democrats anymore. And that has a lot to do with what we're dealing with now. It's sad. It's why you, at the local level, need to take charge of your future. Washington's not going to save you. You might be able to save yourself and your your neighborhood. That's why you should consider joining something like Americans for Prosperity. They're not a think tank. They're a do tank. They go around the country working with conservative activists, making them better activists, making them sharper, making their sales pitch better, giving them the data, the information, the white papers, all the knowledge they need to be the most knowledgeable person in the room, and then teaches you how to go make your pitch to the school board, to the county commission, to the city government, to your state representative, your state senator, so you can be a highly effective activist nationwide. If you support free markets and free people. You need to support Americans for Prosperity. They have your back. They want you to join them. Go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Sign up now. There's a chapter near you, and if there's not, maybe you can help them start one. Americans for Prosperity has been doing this for over a decade, helping grassroots activists become better grassroots activists, giving them the tools, the knowledge, the information they need to make cogent arguments for free markets and free people. Americans for Prosperity is headquartered in D.C., but they're out among you and the nations, and they got chapters all over the country. And I'm proud to be a fellow of theirs and on their advisory board. I want you to join us, americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. You, my friends, can be the future of the conservative movement with AFP. This other program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, they can help your business grow. Reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com. Buying a building, building a building, expanding a franchise. They want to help you, $750,000 deals or more, firstlibertyga.com. buddy of mine just texted me and said, uh, it wasn't just 2018, 2020, and 2022 that Ronald McDaniel oversaw a disaster. It was the 2021 runoff disaster in Georgia as well. So four elections this woman has been in charge of and failed as the chair of the RNC, and yet they want to restore her. Good gracious. Jonathan, you're going to be up next on the Eric Erickson Show. If I can push the button there, Jonathan, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, Eric. Uh, well, fair to Midland. Um, the the question I have is: Is there any way we can convince the Herschel Walker campaign to drop every and the PACs and the supporting PACs drop all of the negative uh, ads against Warnock? Warnock's already doubled down, and he's playing those negative ads all over again, and it just wears so thin on me. I am just I'm just fed up with them. Yeah. If I don't hear them from Warnock, from, from from Herschel, then I've got a chance at voting for him. You know, I, I got to tell you, yes, I, I do. Um, I, I think people are worn out and they want an optimistic message. It's certainly what the voters wanted on election night. I, I would tell the, the Walker campaign if they got the money – uh, massive ad campaign and make it all positive. One thing they can do is split screen it. They can jump in a little hit on on Warnock. You know, the exit polling in Georgia was very interesting. Warnock was seen as the, the more respectable, responsible person, but he was also seen as the extremist. He was seen as out of touch with Georgia. So you could do a happy warrior commercial from Herschel Walker. He comes across very happy on screen and say, I'm Herschel Walker. I love Georgia. I want the best for Georgia. Raphael Warnock is aligned with the Democrats in Washington wrecking our economy. I want to save our economy. I love Georgia. I'm from South Georgia. I'm Herschel Walker. I paid for the set. He could do something like that. Do it split screen. Go negative for like 15 seconds and then it's all positive. Or just go all positive. 
those of you who aren't in Georgia, you can't understand how good the Warnock media campaign is. Raphael Warnock has, I, I would like to meet the ad team that did Raphael Warnock's ads. Those people are geniuses. They really are. I, I am entirely complimentary of Raphael Warnock's ad campaign in Georgia. It has been the best I have ever seen in politics. Truly is the best I've ever seen in politics. They the the positive ads, even the negative ads, the digital strategy, it really is a well-oiled machine. When we come back, I got to move on to other stuff at the bottom of the next hour, the Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence, is going to join me by phone to talk about, well, what he said to David Muir on ABC News last night, talk about his book, and talk about the future. Vice President Mike Pence is going to join me. And also, the reaction to Dave Chappelle on Saturday Night Live. Well, there's a tie-in there to so much more that I want to talk about. There's also, well, Joe Biden. He's been at the G20 Summit in Asia. And he's showing his age and everyone's taking notice.